0: Welcome to the Hardware Asylum Podcast Extras. In this episode, we rant about stuff, we learn about external GPUs, and Windows 7 is on the decline. I'm your host, Dennis Garcia. With me today, I have Darren McKay. You know that episode of Family Guy where Peter goes onto the news and he has... Something to say, because it grinds his gears. Oh, yeah, like a rant, right? He's going to rant. Yeah, well, I kind of want to grind my gears a little bit here.
1: Oh, what's got you grumpy?
0: Oh, it's content. Believe it or not, you know, when you run a website, they say content is king.
1: Okay, I see where we're going. A little peek behind the curtain here at the Hardware Asylums podcast. Well,
0: yeah, right. I mean, we got to get people to the website, right? Right. So uh, they say content is king and when you produce that content people are supposed to consume that content well with the hardware asylum podcast part of the content is the audio that we have right now as we're talking uh, you know I'm moving my hands around this radio so you can't see it <laughs> all right but then we also have the aspect of well how do people find the hardware asylum podcast you can go to hardwareasylum.com/podcast you can get the latest episode and all the past episodes or you can subscribe to the RSS via iTunes or the website or various other websites around right, And of
1: course, we do our best to steer you. But since you're here, you already know that, you know, through things like Facebook and Twitter and all those fun things that we've all learned to embrace or loathe
0: in (laughs) in this case. (laughs) Exactly. But there are people out there, you know, some of them are not in the United States. This is also a point that uh, they find content and they say, hey, this is like kind of free. Let's take that and oh, we're going to make money with it. So the case in point here is I found a website called iVox, ivoo okay. com. This is a Spanish website from Spain, the actual Spanish proper. And what they do is they're a podcast aggregate. So what does that mean, Dan? It's a podcast aggregate. So they go and take podcast XMLs, and usually they can get them from iTunes. You can actually get feeds from iTunes of all of the podcasts that iTunes has, and then go out and find all of the XMLs. And at that point, you have access to all of their podcasts. That's how you subscribe to a podcast, right?
1: Okay. So I know that I don't normally do this, but I feel like we should wax a little bit technical. How does this code work? How do they how do they farm this code?
0: You're familiar with an RSS feed, yes, real, yes. Uh, real oh. simple syndication. I think that's how it was pronounced. But anyway, it's it's an XML file, and it's a file that your a lot of email clients and a lot of standalone clients can understand and it takes the xml codes and you can get the title and the description and links and you basically get these little news snippets off of the syndication right okay and that's something you can subscribe to so every time it changes it updates in the Uh, client that you're using. So you can see what else isn't coming out.
1: Okay. So I think I get it. So what you're saying is this is content that's in all of our podcast pages that allows us to share this content with the web. But because that code is embedded in the page, anyone that goes to the code has access to it.
0: Exactly. Hence
1: the, oh, our content is free because I can go get it.
0: Yeah. it's a Okay. It's starting to click for me now. Yeah. So basically it's a feed. And the aggregate sites subscribe to feeds. They consume the feed. And then at that point, it's on their website. They can do whatever they, heck they want with it.
1: So the ultimate goal here is they use our content to get clicks or views for their advertising
0: or whatever their monetary solution is. Exactly. I get it. It's pretty cool. It's a good business model, right? You right.
1: Know? So I could build a page, steal a bunch of links maybe come up with some pretty graphics, sell some advertising, fun and profit with almost no work.
0: Yeah. Wow, okay. Yes, yeah. uh, don't get any ideas, people.
1: <laughs> Please don't, we love you.
0: Here's the situation with iVox. So they go out and they, they farm all these podcast XMLs. It's freely available feeds that they go and consume on their website. It's a Spanish website, so they go and take this English content and then translate it into Spanish and put it on their website but they don't put all of the content on there. So they might take the title and the descriptions and the links to the, the podcast, uh, MP3 files and stuff like that and the graphics, but they might conveniently leave off, Oh, you know, the link back to the website or the link to the physical MP3. Instead, they go and download it and run it on their server. So at that point they're consuming all this content to create all these pages, but they're not giving credit back to the author of the content.
1: Wow, this is kind of back to root piracy, only worse because when you pirate a song or a movie or whatever, I mean, you're never stripping who made it. I mean, that that's kind of inherent in that product, whereas with internet content, sometimes that is not so visible.
0: Exactly. And uh, the fact that they're translating it into Spanish is not necessarily breaking copyright raw laws per se, but it is kind of right on the skirts of like, well, is this really acceptable? And on top of that, they're in Spain. So what sort of recourse do I have? It's like, hey, take down my podcast. Oh, no, it's a free feed. We're just consuming it on our website. And then charging ads when people come to it. And then when you subscribe to that podcast on our website using our app on our phone, it's going to our site all the time to grab all that stuff. So they've basically stole it all?
1: That's right. So all the time and effort we have put into creating this content for you, which we hope you enjoy, and we're glad that you're here. Gets shared with the world with no credit, no back traffic, no monetization. I mean, really, no benefit for us at all.
0: No. Um, admittedly, it is in Spain. This is a, uh, as far as I know, we speak English, right?
1: We do, but I would like to think that we have fans around the world, Dennis.
0: Yes, we do. But unless they understand English, they probably. Well, I guess they could like the music at the front and the back of our podcast. If you listen long enough, there's actually trailing
1: music we, there. We we do love our music.
0: Yeah, it's good stuff. Uh, the little people they provide our intro and outro. So definitely check out the little people. It's uh, actually a a one man chill. Was that what you would call his music?
1: Well, yeah, it's kind of like an ambient, almost techno sound to it, and in fact, you have made a very valid point. This is really the polar opposite of what you just described, because Mm -hmm. we have worked with the little people to get the rights and the permission to use that song, even though we only use a portion of it at the Mm -hmm. beginning and end of each of our podcasts, and to be frank, we have in the past tried to use, uh, you know, free music. Mm and discovered that really we kind of like that theme, so we gravitated back to it. And we are happy and very proud to give credit. And in fact, we're always excited when he goes on tour because there might be a chance to go see him so that we can pay back the privilege of using his music by supporting him and his tour and his music and albums in general, which is the way it should be. When you use content, if you find value in it, you should, I mean, really be fiscally responsible and providing support for it. Even if it's not monetary support and credit where credit is due, this is the really the bare roots, the basics of content production. If we create content and we never find benefit from it, then uh, all right, well, we're having fun.
0: Well, yeah, but if there's, you know, you have fun providing something for people and you know, Hey, send us an email, you know, uh, click on a link, you know, that's really a lot of what this whole process is about. Uh, unfortunately, with iVox getting back on topic here, um, when I found them, they were actually on the front page searching for Hardware Asylum Podcast, oh, right? Oh, no. And uh, I think they were like the third link underneath, of course, the hardwareasylum.com website. And I'm like, what the heck is this? I mean, I've known of podcast aggregate sites that go and consume feeds. So I go and check it out. It's all in Spanish. I go and translate it to English. There's not a single link back to my website. I go, is there a complaint link?
1: (laughs) No, of course not.
0: There's no contacts back to them. Um, They actually offer a paid service for, um, they suggest podcasts for people to listen to based on what you've already subscribed to in their application. That's one of the uh, upsells that they have, right? So they're charging money for subscribing, for people subscribing to podcasts and the the service they offer it's just it's bad but um there is a bit of a silver lining i was able to get a hold of them on twitter and say hey so what the heck uh you're taking my stuff at least give me control of it it's oh yeah sure well it was a free feed and um you know in really poor spanish english in spanglish i think that's what it's called yeah, spanglish that's all right yeah so in event um i was able to get control of the podcast and believe it or not i went out there and typed in my address to the website again, and it has yet to actually show up. So I think I'm going to go out there and probably delete all the episodes just because, one, it's on a Spanish site, and I don't get any credit off of that. Um, you know, there's, there's other aggregate sites like Podcat, for instance. They have uh, the entire Hardware Asylum backlog, and they link back to the website, and they actually link to the real MP3s. I really like that. Uh, Stitcher. Um, they consume the MP3s, so they kind of host them, but they give a link back to the website, which is really what I'm after. And they have a a monetization option similar to YouTube, which is kind of cool, but have yet to see any money from that.
1: So the reality is that folks, we know that you might be listening to this podcast on a different service and we'd encourage you to do what you need to do to, of course, consume our content. We want you to hear us. That's why we do this we don't make any money really off of this this is done out of love and fun and support for our site and our hobby that we love so much So if you are listening to this through a third-party site that is not directly from hardwareasylum.com, please consider this our solemn request that you take the opportunity to check us out and maybe subscribe directly, and hopefully you revisit our back catalog on our site and find something you like. And if nothing else, drop us a line and tell us that you enjoyed our podcast and where you're coming from, because ultimately, that's what we're looking for, a little credit and a little love from the folks like you that are listening
0: out there. There, and there's been a lot of confusion in the recent releases of a whole lot of processors this year. I mean, we have a whole bunch of them from Intel. We have the Ryzen, the Threadripper. You know, and somewhere down there, there's probably an Atom. And, uh, you know, we got the Microsoft Surface, which wants to compete with the iPad. And,
1: sure, and that's not even counting the mobile stuff like Snapdragons and NVIDIA Tigra or whatever the latest equivalent is.
0: Yeah, but the one thing that a lot of those items don't really have... Uh, they don't make clear is what's their general purpose. I mean, yeah, sure, Coffee Lake, the the five core that we talked about in the late last podcast, that's a good gaming CPU, but you need a whole lot of stuff.
1: Well, yeah, and we've talked about that too. You kind of have to begin with the end in mind, right? That's a pretty common, you know, project management philosophy. Exactly. And what are we trying to do here?
0: Well, yeah. Well, say we want to play games. Yes, and we do. We do. But uh, say we live in. Oh, a dormitory.
1: Oh, yes. So we don't have a lot of room for a big machine.
0: And, and we have like two other roommates.
1: Yes. And they probably don't have a lot of room and none of us have any
0: money. And we have like maybe one flat screen TV.
1: Oh, my gosh. And we're eating
0: ramen. Oh, wait, maybe I've gone too far. But maybe. Yes. I remember those days well. And so during those days, uh, it w- made perfect sense to have a laptop. Or right. a small computer. Or you have one computer that you share. But and say, well, you're going to go with, like, a laptop. Sure, you know,
1: because that makes sense, especially if you're in a small environment. And even more so if you want to take your computing on the go, perhaps for work or
0: as a student. Say when you have that one TV and you have a PlayStation.
1: Yes, because you should if you have one TV.
0: Yeah, something like that. So something. what do all those things have in common? Small location, laptop, and maybe a small gaming console.
1: Ooh, yeah, it's very limited ecosystem, right?
0: Yeah, very limited. And if some person's on the PlayStation and the other roommate's on the PlayStation, how do you play games? On your phone? Or laptop? Yes, of course, you'd want to be on your laptop, but... We know that laptops are inherently designed to not play games.
1: In fact, if you want a laptop that's really a good desktop replacement, you're going to pay an amazing amount of money... It's for, doable for, for a gigantic des- laptop. Yeah,
0: desktop replacement laptop, which is, might as well buy a desktop. Yes. So that, so anyway, I'm getting at, there is a solution. There is. And this to is buy the,
1: a gaming PC.
0: Yes, that's a very good solution.
1: To buy a uh, NVIDIA Shield?
0: Mm, okay, maybe not. Maybe not. The solution is, and I want to say this solution has been around for a really, 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 really long time.
1: Um. Okay, I'm
0: lost External GPU Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, you could have your laptop And then another device that's about the size Of a discrete graphics card You put in a gaming computer Have that hooked up to another power supply And then be able to play games By routing Express slot Or Display port or, or which way we want to connect to it To that video card and then all of a sudden you have a discrete graphics card hooked up to your laptop that you can play games on.
1: Okay, okay. You're starting to win me over. So what we're talking about is essentially the modern equivalent of an external hard drive bay only designed for a graphics card. Yep. I guess I kind of knew these were a thing, but it just sort of felt like a niche, I guess, is... Kind of felt
0: dumb, really.
1: Well, yeah, and I think some of it is because we approach this from an enthusiast perspective where we are building really the best possible machine for the budget mm-hmm. and as a as a self-contained unit because the reality is is that at least the way we use our computers, a laptop rarely makes sense. And when we do go portable we have a specific portable device, but not everybody has that ability.
0: No, not everybody does. And, you know, I'd mentioned that this goes back quite a ways. And I want to say the first time I saw an external GPU option was probably Computex maybe five or six years ago. Wow, that far back? Really? Yeah, and the way they designed it was uh, it uses the express card slot on a laptop, which was fairly fast. It was kind of designed for storage and external Wi-Fi stuff. It was a way to do connectivity. In terms of speed, it was about probably PCI Express 1X.
1: So, so very limited. This is sort of like the Jay Courtney of video cards, right?
0: Yeah, something like that. <laughs> and on top of that, you had this device, and it was limited in size because it was a box, right? And then you put your video card in there, and then you can plug your monitor into the video card, just like you would do in a desktop. But it had its own power supply, and you could... You were limited on what kind of video card you could put in there based on the power supply was supplying. It's just like a laptop power supply, right?
1: Now, see, I think I remember these when they initially came out. You'd buy it as a self-contained unit, and it might have a uh, an entry-level or even an Intel GPU in it mm-hmm. as opposed to a specific gaming component. So it sort of makes sense that they've progressed since then, though I have to— confess that I had kind of lost track of these things out there.
0: It wasn't a very popular option, partly because it was expensive, kind of unneeded. And it just, you know, say you have your business laptop, you come home and you put it in your docking station that's home. Right. And that docking station hooks into two monitors and then you have your own, you know, desktop at home, right? Sure. And then you want to game on it. Well, your video card in there doesn't game. So now you have to route all that to an external device. And then put that into the monitors. So, you know, you'd spend all this money on the docking station to charge your laptop and stuff. And then, you know, you see where I'm going with this. It's like all of a sudden we have this device here and then another device all hooked into a monitor. And it's taken up a lot of space.
1: Well, it still sounds pretty niche, but I get that maybe you have to have the laptop because of space or portability Mm -hmm. needs. Yes. So Okay, so we go there and then we have this option. And in that way, it makes sense to me. Okay, I have to have this laptop. Mm -hmm. Or maybe that's what I purchased before I discovered that I
0: needed better graphics, which happens too. Yeah, exactly. And uh, over the years, I mean, it started with the Express card. And then with um, Thunderbolt, you remember Thunderbolt? Oh, yes, Thunderbolt, which, the Apple. Yeah, which was the Apple thing. Well, That is basically a DisplayPort connection that comes off of your PCI Express bus.
1: Okay, yeah. Now, I sort of had dismissed that as daisy-chaining monitors, which no one
0: kind of really ever did. No. The adoption rate, I guess, if you want to call it that, has really waned. So yeah, I
1: haven't seen really anything non-Apple with a Thunderbolt port for a long time.
0: Yeah, Gigabyte was really the strongest uh, proponent for Thunderbolt devices. They used to, you know, release motherboards that had Thunderbolt connections, but the comparable motherboard from like MSI or EVGA would not have Thunderbolt. And part of it was because you had to buy the Thunderbolt controller. Which was pretty expensive as an add on for the board itself. But Gigabyte wanted to support Intel as best as they can, and Intel was the one supplying the controller. So there was a, a, a relationship there, and that they were really trying to push it. But the devices on the PC side were fairly limited, except for the external GPU market.
1: Okay, so five or so years later, we still have now an evolved
0: external GPU box. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Okay, so that, what does today's version of this thing look like? Today's version is basically uh, replacing the Thunderbolt with a direct PCI Express connection.
1: Oh, okay, that totally makes more sense.
0: So it's using the uh, the mPCIe, I think, is the connection port that they're using now, um, and you know that's PCI Express lanes, and they're basically being transferred directly to this external GPU. That, uh, you know, another PCI Express slot, you plug in your radio card, and it works the same way. It's just much faster.
1: Okay, so let's step back a second because the MPCIE, I don't know that I've seen a laptop that comes with an MPCIE external port. Is this a new thing, or how are we getting
0: these out the door? That's a really good question because I have yet to see one as well.
1: So I think what we're talking about is we need some sort of interface. So we're installing an MPCIE controller. Into a laptop, then it sounds like.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that basically that can be used just like a Thunderbolt connection, except it isn't using the Thunderbolt proprietary connection, you know, kind of like HDMI. You have to pay licensing for that. Well, you have to pay licensing for Thunderbolt.
1: Okay, and then I'm seeing an external box, which Mm -hmm. totally makes sense, I guess, if that's your desire. And this box is compatible with any video card?
0: They say it is. Um... The big limitation, like, for instance, uh, Dell sells one that goes with their Alienware systems, and it has power demands. There's like a 460-watt power supply that gets supplied with the device, and if your video card pulls more than 460 watts, it's not supported.
1: Yeah, but we're talking about single-card solutions, so that's a pretty safe bet. Okay, so I think you've won me over to a possible solution. If you don't have the ability to have a full gaming PC or you have to have that portability and you want to have a gaming PC on the slide. So it's sort of the mullet of video card solutions, right?
0: Yeah. Party up in the back. What? How's that work? <laughs> Business up front, party in the back. That's it.
1: Exactly. So I want to I talk a little bit about this because I think what I'm seeing here is a, a major limitation to this which is why i think this is still maybe the next big thing and isn't getting wide adaption and that is cost right
0: right for instance the alienware system that we just were talking about runs over thunderbolt 3 supports a single video card comes with its own power supply it doesn't come with a video card
1: no and you're paying two
0: two bills for this guy
1: Two bells, and and that's on the cheaper end of them. They get more expensive pretty quick. Yeah. And this is a single card solution like we talked about. You're limited by the type of connection. Now, in this case, you have a, a full solution together which is one of the nice advantages of buying from dells you get everything you need in one package but you could also purchase another one of these on the open market a lot of vendors have them Mm -hmm. and some of them require you to have an extra card or some of them use that thunderbolt connection
0: yeah well and i should mention that all the major motherboard manufacturers had external video card devices they just don't market them because they don't have a market so to speak
1: so you purchase this thing for two hundred dollars or more And then you also have to purchase a video card. So you've got the additional cost of the video card. So, I mean, let's take a a 1070, which is kind of the sweet spot for gaming right now, in my opinion, uh, from the Intel side, at least. And you're looking at about another 375 to 400 bucks.
0: Yeah, another four bills. So that now you're sitting six.
1: So six easy. And I think we've already talked about that you can build a passable gaming PC, a complete PC for not much more than 600 bucks.
0: Yeah, and that would be a small form factor machine that, granted, it's not going to be portable. So if you're in the dorm room situation or you live in some Asian country where you just have a little closet for your house, which is, it happens quite often, Mm -hmm. you don't have a lot of room. So you need to get the most out of your computer. And I think that's the genesis of these external GPUs is to give you the most out of your computer that you're using. So if you have a small form factor, you can plug in an external GPU, hook it to your one TV, you're good to go. You still have a portable solution, but you get to pay for that. And then you still have to figure out where you're going to put all that stuff.
1: Well, I have to say, I do like the advantage that you can keep your laptop. And we've talked about one of the major disadvantages of laptops is when the hardware gets obsolete, You have to purchase a whole new laptop, even if the laptop itself is still fully functional. And this is one good way to get around that. So maybe instead of purchasing another laptop, and to be fair, a good high-end laptop is, you know, pretty expensive. Over a grand is pretty easy to do. And this is an alternative to that that can keep you in a compatible, high-end, external solution for longer. So I, I get that. And I think what I'm trying to say here is this is a product that has, I think, a very clearly defined niche.
0: Wow, Darren, this is a a podcast extra, and we're doing three segments. Three
1: segments is crazy. What do you got for segment number three?
0: Windows 7. What? I know. It's crazy. That's that's so like, what, 2005? Uh, Yeah, I think it is. But uh, this article that I found on IT World, because, you know, they happen to be whatever of whatever, they're saying that Windows by the numbers, Windows 7 recalculated shares show faster than thought decline.
1: Okay, so what they're saying in plain English is the number of people using Windows 7 worldwide has finally dropped below 50%. So that means that less than fifty percent of the people that are out there computing are using dun, 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 Windows Seven for the first time, in and, like
0: since it released.
1: And that's crazy because Windows Seven was immensely popular, but a lot of that was people trying to get off
0: of Windows XP and and not- holdovers from things like Vista, which we try to pretend didn't happen yes this had never happened mm-hmm.
1: but also remember that that was the first time that microsoft aggressively pursued forced obsolescence and said hey we're not going to support these old operating systems and they have some pretty impressive vulnerabilities which drove also with the performance advantages mm-hmm. people to windows 7
0: and it was it was usable it was a a very logical and i should say well planned upgrade to windows xp it still had a very similar interface It borrowed a little bit from Windows Vista in terms of like looks and functionality, but it was a very easy to use, easily adoptable, easy upgradable operating system. I mean, it just worked.
1: And one should point out that a lot of folks would still be on it because it really was a great upgrade path, one of the first times that upgrading really made sense without very many negatives. But like I say, people would still be on that. If Windows 10 hadn't been offered as a free upgrade for such a large length of time. In fact, some users can still
0: get a free upgrade to Windows 10 from Windows 7. That's crazy. But you notice how we're not talking about Windows 8. Windows what? Yeah, exactly. There was a Windows operating system that came out after 7 that was admittedly a rushed version of Windows 10. And, um, you know, they, they needed to have a new OS out there. So they, they sold this one and then they did an upgrade and then they did the, oh my God, what happened to the start button? Oh, well, here's a, here's a link. You <laughs> click on it. It turns into a start button. See, it looks good. And that's, uh, I think Penny Arcade said, this is how UI designers give their users a finger. <laughs> I thought that was like. It was the perfect response to that.
1: That's so funny. And, you know, I look at Windows 8 and think of it as Windows' first attempt to be a mobile operating system.
0: They just didn't realize
1: that it should only be a Windows operating system. And I say that as a Surface Pro user, which was one of the first markets that used that, although my service now uses Windows 10,
0: because why wouldn't it? Why wouldn't it? So with this article, it goes through and talks about how Windows 7 finally drops below 50%, which means that... There are still uh, users out there. They're using Mac, Mac, OS, and then there's uh, a, a small portion of them. They're using Linux. There's still there's still Windows 8 users out there, and there's Windows 10 users out there.
1: Well, and I want to point out the spec for that because I still find this amazing. Windows powers 88.4 percent of the world's operating systems. Now, of course, it's never going to be 100. And nope. we and we get that, but 88.4 percent is. You know, it's just a remarkable market penetration and speaks to the power and diversity of the Windows operating system and really speaks to how poorly Linux and Apple and everybody else out there has done at providing a viable alternative.
0: So basically, we have um, a decline in Windows 7 first time ever, which what does that mean? Does that mean that the hardware that was running Windows 7 is now aged to the point where you have to go to a new operating system or has uh, you know, the free upgrade finally convinced users that, Oh, well, when I get a new PC, I'm going to get windows 10 and not bother with trying to get windows Mm seven, which is actually getting really hard to buy nowadays. But,
1: well, I think I agree. And it's some of both, but I think the reality is, is that Microsoft has finally created an operating system and it hasn't really been like this since maybe Mm NT where universally everyone felt like this was a nice, safe incremental improvement with very little if any downside to it
0: well it goes along with their pattern right um intel had the tick tock which they don't claim they have anymore but we have windows by the numbers right we had um windows 3 fairly good right mm-hmm.
1: um and you know a, a really a remarkable change to what was available at the time
0: yeah that that was a long time ago, by mm-hmm. the way. You know, you got Windows. Hey, you moved around. You can do stuff. It's hard to find icons, But then the revolutionary one came out, which was Windows 95. Right. We're going to say that was a, a fairly good one, but it had issues. Windows 98 came out. Awesome. That was like the pinnacle operating mm-hmm. system. The
1: fixed Windows 95, essentially, with Basically. some nice performance upgrades.
0: Yeah, and then they had the special edition after that, which was just kind of a, a minor improvement. Still good, but it was one of those you had to buy, which was crazy. And then... Windows Me.
1: Oh, yeah. No, that
0: was a downer. It was terrible. Not so good. Not so good. And then what was after that? Windows, dun, dun, dun. Windows 2000. Windows 2000. F- which was the first time that they took the Windows NT operating system, which was good. NT4. Mm-hmm. Awesome.
1: And we should point out that previous to that time, NT was only marketed to enterprise and IT type functionality. Mm-hmm. It wasn't really marketed to the home users. So Windows 2000 really was the first effort to unify those architectures and
0: give you the advantages of both ecosystems. And it worked great for people that were power users and really wanted to get with that. And then Windows XP, and that was probably the most successful operating system they had ever released. And the highest level of market penetration. And also probably the highest pirated version of... (laughs) windows ever
1: and in fact there are still a lot of machines running it despite microsoft's very strong efforts to get it off of the market
0: yes and then after that we have windows 7 and windows 10 and all that stuff but we basically have a good one and a bad one good one and bad one we have windows 10 very good very stable i mean we're recording the podcast on a windows 10 machine which Mm -hmm. is a, a great testament although now they've gotten into the point where they're following kind of an apple approach where we just do an incremental upgrades Uh, to it so I'm wondering what's going to be for the future but you know that's going to be five six years down the road I think before we see another real good reason to upgrade for more information on the topics discussed in this podcast please consult our show notes on hardwareasylum.com stay up to date on the latest at hardware asylum by subscribing to our rss follow us on twitter or like us on facebook This has been a Ninja Lane production, copyright 2017. Thanks for listening.